I'm worried that I might miss the warning signs that I have clogged arteries. Are there any? There are some. You, you may not have them, um, but there are some. Like the classic ones, obviously, are that person might have chest pain, you know, what you call angina. Um, and so that the heart muscle is just not getting adequate oxygen. And after walking you know, a few blocks, a person gets chest pain. And then there are equivalent ones where you can get leg pains because your legs aren't getting adequate uh, blood flow. Surprisingly enough, lower back pain might be in the same category, but for a different reason. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 45 of season four, number 240 overall. And I want to start today by saying hi to McKinley, who is listening, looking for a little bit of encouragement. So McKinley, we are going to do our best to give you just that as we grow healthier together throughout the show. So here we go. Today's show is all about your questions and Dr. Neil Barnard's answers. We will be opening up the doctor's mailbag and pulling out the questions that you have sent in. And our first question today will be about clogged arteries. How will you know if yours are clogged? And what are the warning signs that you want to be on the lookout for? And will you be able to recognize them before it's too late? That is what we will find out today. And we'll also be getting into whether a person can unclog their arteries just by changing what it is that they're eating. And how long could it take once they do change their diet? We've got the studies that tackle just that. Also in the doctor's mailbag, we have questions about persistently high cholesterol and the iodine that's in iodized salt. Where does that come from? And is it possible for you to eat too many berries? Is there a downside or can you really crush blueberries and strawberries until your heart is content? We are going to find out on the show today as well. But before we open up the doctor's mailbag, I wanted to let you know that today's episode of The Exam Room is sponsored by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, supporting organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse. You can visit Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. Do check them out. Amazing people. Okay, now, it is time for some nutrition science as we begin with clogged arteries. How will you know if you have them? And what have studies shown about how quickly a plant-based diet can clear them right out. Dr. Barnard, good to see you, my friend. Hi there, Chuck. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm glad that you're here because today's top question is a really, I thought, an interesting one, and it comes to us from Alice. And Alice says, heart disease runs in my family, and it wasn't until recently that I stopped eating fried food and a lot of fat, but I'm worried that I might miss the warning signs that I have clogged arteries. Are there any? Uh, there are some. Um you, you may not have them, um, but there are some. Like the classic ones, obviously, are that a person might have chest pain, you know, what you call angina. Um, and so that the heart muscle is just not getting 
adequate oxygen. And after walking you know, a few blocks, a person gets chest pain. And then there are equivalent ones where you can get leg pains because your legs aren't getting adequate uh, blood flow. Um, surprisingly enough, lower back pain might be in the same category, but for a different reason. Um, and that is that if you're not getting enough uh, blood supply to your lower back, the discs start to degenerate. And so disc disease is now thought to be one of the manifestations of arterial disease, uh, amazingly enough. Um, And lest a a person imagine that that's quite rare, um, researchers have looked at uh, autopsy studies of young people who are tragically killed in car accidents or something like that. And they have found that there are serious artery blockages in kids as young as 18 and 20, where in some cases they've lost an entire lumbar artery. So the the bottom line here is this starts early. Um, The classic uh, canary in the coal mine, uh, the big sign that you've got artery disease is in men, and that's erectile dysfunction. The guy who's 40 years old and goes to the doctor for Viagra, he does not have um, performance anxiety. What he's got is narrowed arteries. Um, But that, of course, doesn't apply to a woman. So there are these warning signs. You do see them sometimes, but for the most part, you don't know. You can have narrowed arteries and never know it. So that's why uh, doctors look at your blood pressure, your cholesterol, and your weight, and your smoking uh, to see if we can predict who's got atherosclerosis. Bottom line, if you live in America, assume you got it. Uh, it's just that common. So that means plant-based diet, get, again, get rid of the fried stuff as, you, as you're doing, get rid of the junk. And luckily, artery disease can be reversed. Uh, do you know whether it's common for doctors to have that conversation with men when they go in there for erectile dysfunction? Doctors giving them the heads up, hey, we might want to look at you for a potential arterial blockage here. Um, they should have that discussion. Um, but for the most part, I think um, they have not. Uh, th- hopefully that is changing. It depends in part on who your doctor is. Um, if your doctor happens to be a cardiologist, cardiologists all know this. Um, we had a session um, at our summer conference years ago by uh, Steve Kopetsky from Mayo, and it was a, a terrific session where he just said erectile dysfunction is the canary in the coal mine. It's a sign of uh, artery disease, and Rob Ostfeld at Montefiore has done great work there. But your average uh, primary care doc may not be thinking of that connection. And it's a terrible thing to miss because guy comes in, you give him Viagra, and he says, thanks, doc. That person is at especially high risk of a heart attack or stroke within the next three to five years. Um, so you, you've, you, you don't want to miss the fact that this is a warning sign that should be a motivator for him. The good news is he goes vegan. He gets the junk out of his diet. He starts exercising. He throws away the cigarettes. As the arteries open up, his erectile dysfunction will improve, maybe go away. And all the arteries in his body are going to improve. So if he has chest pain, that's likely to go away too. Let's take a follow-up question here from Alice. She's wondering how long might it take for her arteries to unclog if she begins eating that whole food plant-based diet? What does the science show there? When, when Dean Ornish did his uh, work that culminated in, in his Lancet publication in 1990, which was the classic one that shows that the arteries tend to open up again, um, that was 12-month data. And he showed that if you measure the arteries today and you measure them 12 months from now, 82% of people uh, show this reopening of the arteries or at least signs in that direction. Um, however, 
I'm almost certain that it starts way before that because uh, people with chest pain, angina, it's the classic symptom of low blood flow to the heart muscle. That tends to be gone in about four to six weeks. So um, the changes occur pretty fast and then they will continue to build throughout the rest of the body. All right, let's go ahead and switch gears here. Uh, interesting question here from uh, Bulant. He, uh, he wants to know, where does the iodine in iodized salt come from? We've talked about iodized salts in the show in the past. Yeah, uh, it's it's typically sodium iodide. Um, you can also use, there's potassium iodide. Um, iodine is, a, is actually uh, not a common element in the earth. Um, unlike, say, iron and calcium and things like that, uh, it's fairly uncommon. Um, and it's, it does have industrial applications. So in Chile and Japan, these are countries that export, that produce it and export it. Um, however, I, I would encourage you to get to know the, my, my personal favorite source, which is seaweed, sea vegetables. Um, you're the wakame in your miso soup. Um, or the nori that's wrapped around your cucumber roll, those are really great sources of iodine in its, in its natural form. I'm a big fan of dulse as well. I, I'll yeah. put some of that uh, in my salad from time to time. I had a friend introduce me to that, and I was like, man, where has this been all of my life? This is, <laughs> this is what's happening. It's what's up right now. Uh, here's a question from Fun Sized Yogi on Instagram. That's a fun sized screen name right there. I uh, would like uh, to start by saying thank you for your podcast. The exam room has inspired me to go fully vegan, and I have successfully lowered my LDL cholesterol from 123 down to 80. However, Dr. Barnard, fun-sized yogi, goes on to say, my total cholesterol has increased by five points. I believe this is because of an increase in my triglycerides. What would be causing that from what my family believes? It could be bread or noodles made from white flour. So why could somebody's total cholesterol drop, but then we see the um, triglycerides rise? What a good audience you have today. People are asking... <laughs> These are PhD level questions. That's great. I'm telling you. Okay. All right. Um, first of all, congratulations. What you've done is fantastic. Your LDL went from what 120 some down to 80. That is great. I'll bet you your doctor was thrilled to get that result. Um, must have wondered what statin you must be taking, and you have to tell him it's beans and rice. Um, <laughs> but you know that's what happens because you're not eating animal fat anymore. You're not eating any cholesterol because you're on a plant based diet. So 80 is great. And so the most important thing is getting your LDL down and the level that you are at at 80 is super, pretty much kind of end of story. But you're, you're raising this other question. Wait a minute, your total went up. So if that's not the LDL, what is it? It could be HDL. That's the so-called good cholesterol. Um, and um, is, it uh, is it possible that triglycerides are playing into this? Um, if you go vegan, and you're eating beans and vegetables and fruits and whole grains, um, these kind of low glycemic index foods, your triglycerides are likely to fall along with all the other cholesterol, along with the cholesterol. So your LDL drops and your total drops and so forth. Um, however, um, your family is right that if you're eating, um, say, processed flour or sugar, in some people, your triglycerides will go down, but in others, they'll go up. And that's that's fairly common. And you can put this to the test very easily. You just get away from sugar and get away from white flour for a while, have more intact grains, and just see. Triglycerides bounce around a lot in response to what you eat. And you can see if that brings it down. That said, your LDL is a winner, and you've done great. 
Let's take a question from Jane. Jane likes berries, but she's worried maybe she's eating too many of them, Dr. Barnard. Her question, I'm wondering if you can actually eat too many berries because I pile them on top of my oatmeal porridge every day, and my kids think I'm going way overboard. Would this add potentially to my gaining weight? No, it won't. Um, there's, what, what's in a berry? What's in a berry is some water and then some natural fruit sugars. And you can pack them as much as you want to. And it still only has four calories in every gram. So berries, knock yourself out. The more, the better. Um, I would encourage you, um, if you could get organic, it's worth the extra money. Uh, berries happen to be one of the products that, that uh, sometimes the planters like to spray pesticides on. And so if you're eating lots and lots and lots of it, you might want to um, always favor organic. But no, you can't go wrong with berries. She also wants to know whether you're familiar with uh, amla berries and whether they're good for lowering cholesterol. She said she's heard that from uh, some other people and wanted to get your opinion. Uh, yeah, the, the AMLA. This is kind of the new, well, it's not new. I mean, they've been around for a long time. It's, it's the Indian gooseberry. Um, yeah, they, they, well, first of all, they don't have any cholesterol. They don't have any animal fat. So the more you eat of them and the less you eat of spam, the better off you're going to be. Um their claim to fame is sort of like oats uh, or beans for that matter is they have soluble fiber in them. And so um, soluble fiber has a very, not a big, but a gentle cholesterol lowering effect. And the omelet berry will, will bring that to you. So um, have these as part of a plant-based diet and not instead of it. All right, let's talk B12, shall we? We have a question from uh, Andrea here. It says, my blood work indicates that I'm uh, consuming too much B12. Uh, have I been taking the wrong dose? Probably. <laughs> I only say that because everyone's kind of taking more than they need. Um, if you're taking a B12 supplement, you, you know, you go to the store and you look at all the labels and they'll say 1,000 micrograms of B12, 5,000 micrograms of B12. And if you look it up, the RDA for B12 is not 1,000 or 5,000. It's 2.4. That's it. And so you're looking around and you ask the clerk, do you have one that's just got 2.4? And they say, no, we don't have anything like that. Um, if you take a multiple vitamin, they tend to have lower amounts, but they unfortunately build in stuff that you don't want, like copper and iron. And so you don't want that. So I think the best solution, get the smallest one you can find. Online, you'll find them 100, 200. That's fine. Up to 500. That's okay. Um, if it's more than that, take it every other day or break it in half, something like that. So you're not taking this humongous dose. Now, now that said, I'm not sure that there's really any danger to high doses of, of B12. We, we really don't know the answer to that question. Up until about two years ago, I would have said, no, there's no danger at all. Uh, a study did come out maybe about a year ago that's, that showed that people with higher levels of B12 in their blood were at higher risk of, of uh, longer term mortality compared to people who had more moderate levels. But then it turned out that that was just because their livers were being attacked. But the reason they were having problems was, or the reason they had a high B12 was these happened to be people who had liver disease and their damaged livers were releasing B12 in the blood. So the B12 itself wasn't dangerous. It was just that it was, it was a sign that they had liver disease. Hope I'm not being overly complicated here, Chuck, but the bottom line is take the smallest amount you can. Um, there's no need to overdo it. It's probably not risky to overdo it a little bit, but there's no reason to.
I don't think you're being overly complicated. I think that uh, we have some very intelligent viewers, so I think that it all kind of works out here. Um, okay. Let's let's stick with B12. A couple of weeks ago on this very show, you and I were actually talking about migraines, and Alice is wondering if there's a connection between migraine headaches and B12 deficiency. Do you know anything there? Is there a correlation? Doubt it. Um, I would I would think not. Um, when I say not, um, uh, B12 deficiency will lead to neurological symptoms and it will lead to uh, blood symptoms. You can become anemic. That's the blood part. And you can have nerve symptoms. You can have pain. Um, and you can also have uh, difficulty with sensation where your nerves are not sensing things properly. Um, migraine is, the, the reason I'm saying probably not uh, with migraine and B12 is that migraine is a specific type of pain where you have pain that is throbbing. It's typically one side of the head. It sometimes has an advanced aura and it's a very particular kind of pain. So my, my guess is that B12 deficiency would not be driving that. There are other food issues that can be. Um, that said, you don't want to be deficient and it's easy. It, it is very easy to prevent B12 deficiency just by taking your B12. Question from Michael on Instagram. Are there any studies on plant-based diets and anemia? What do we know about that? Uh, yeah. Um, with regard to anemia in general, um, the common type that we think of a lot is iron deficiency anemia, where you're not getting um, iron in your diet. And you do need iron. And meat eaters will say, well, you know, meat and liver, they got so much iron. And that's true. It comes along with cholesterol and parasites and other things you don't want. Um, if you are looking for a healthy source of iron, green leafy vegetables have lots and lots and lots and lots of it. Um, and if you take vitamin C rich foods like fruits along with your green vegetables, the absorption is, is high. Um, so iron deficiency anemia is, is a common thing in people who are not getting dietary iron and greens and beans are really good sources of iron. If, if you are, if you do have any kind of anemia, um, this is something that, you're, that your doctor needs to investigate to figure out why you are running low. Are you bleeding somewhere? There are other important questions your doctor will ask. Um, there are other kinds of anemia too. Um, uh, megaloblastic anemia is the one that is associated with B12 deficiency. And there's one called hemolytic anemia, which is that the blood cells are breaking up. Um, and you're wondering, what's this about? And it can be the result of an infection, or it can sometimes be the result of a treatment for an infection, like an antibiotic. It's sometimes an autoimmune condition. So the, all of these things need to be investigated by a healthcare professional. I'll tell you what, that is a nice, thorough answer there. I like that. You see, you see, you're giving the viewers what they want, man. They want that in-depth knowledge. Um, here's a good one from JNL Sand on Instagram. Will adding more fruits and vegetables and cutting back on sweets improve circulation, specifically in the lower extremities like the feet? And does water also play a role in circulation? Hmm. Well, water plays kind of the obvious role, which is that you need blood volume for your blood to get anywhere. Um, but this really plays a role only if you're really dehydrated. And by that, I mean you pee and it's really dark yellow. Um, you're dehydrated. Um, uh, but apart from that, modest increases or reductions in water intake won't make a big difference. And I would be a little bit surprised if sweets play a role. That said, um, if your sweet is a brownie and you look at the brownie recipe, and you discover that it's got some sugar and it's got some flour, but it's about 60% shortening, um, that fat in there will, over time, 
um, increase your, the viscosity of your blood, the thickness of your blood, and that's going to harm your blood flow. It'll raise your blood pressure and reduce blood flow. So, yeah, that's not such a good thing. Uh, question from Leo uh, wants to know, he's a, he's a fiber fan, wants to know if dehydrating apples will strip away the fiber. Nope. Uh, dehydrating apples strips away the, the water and the fiber's still there. There you go. Asked and answered. Uh, question from uh, Diane, what can a dairy-free woman do now that I have osteopenia at the age of 60? I eat very healthy and do power yoga most days. First of all, it's good you're doing a plant-based diet. Um, osteopenia, very common. Um, your bones, your, 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 your doctor will say, well, your bones are thinner. You don't have osteoporosis yet, but you're kind of on the way to it. And, and so um, it's a good reason to be um, thoughtful uh, about bone health. And it's not really magic. You do need calcium in your diet and you're dairy-free, and that's good um, because they're, well, frankly, cows don't make calcium. They get calcium from grass. And if you're eating, hopefully not grass, but broccoli and the other healthy green leafy vegetables, kale, collards, Brussels sprouts, you are getting calcium in a really highly absorbable form. So lots of greens. Um, some people want to add to their calcium by having a calcium supplement. You can do it, but I do have a suggestion that it be a simple, it's like calcium carbonate, so like Tums, Rolaids, that kind of thing. Um, and have it with meals, not between meals. Um, because if it's between meals, for some reason, researchers have found that it can contribute to kidney stones. If it's with the meal, something about being in the balance of other nutrients tends not to be associated with kidney stones. Um, you, I'm not saying you should take supplements. You probably don't need them. But if, if your doctor guides you to extra high calcium as part of the treatment program, that's a way to do it. Um, now, you're going to need some vitamin D because vitamin D helps you absorb the calcium from the foods that you eat. And vitamin D comes from the sun hitting your skin. And if you live in North Dakota and it's January, you're not going out and getting sun. And if it's August, you might be using a sunscreen. So um, sunlight on your skin will produce all the vitamin D that you need if you live in a really sunny place and get it every day. If you don't, you might need a vitamin D supplement. Um, most doctors nowadays would say something like about 2,000 international units a day. That's a little higher than the RDA, but seems to be on the safe level. Um, give your bones a reason to live. Exercise, um, aerobic exercise and weight-bearing exercise. Do those things together. Um, be careful about the alcohol, obviously. Certainly don't smoke. And um, that's a pretty good uh, bone health regimen. Let's uh, switch gears. Take a question from Peter. This one came in at 1223. Wants to know, does saturated fat from nuts have the same harmful effect on the body as animal saturated fat? It does. Um, however, nuts have so little of it um, that it's not such a big deal. Um, if you if saturated fat comes in various forms, but they all seem to or pretty much all of them do tend to raise. They, they have an adverse effect on cholesterol. There may be some exceptions here, but um, the saturated fat in plant products is, should still give us pause. Nuts are not the big source of it, though. The, the big bad source in processed foods is coconut oil and palm oil. So despite their hopeful marketing and how wonderful these so-called so natural fats are, uh, if you see a product with coconut oil, I would suggest not using it at all. And same with palm oil. All right. Question from Stacy. Uh, her daughter wants to go vegan and she's wondering how many grams of protein should she be aiming for for her daughter on a daily basis? 
Well, f- first of all, it's, it's great your daughter's doing it. And you didn't say this in the question, but I'm hoping that means that you're vegan too. Because if you're not, the most important thing, your daughter wants to go vegan and, you, and you, you know, you're, you're a good mom, so you're concerned about her health. But the best, best, best thing that any parent can do with a child who wants to go vegan is join them. Join them. And that way, A, you're going to support them. Um, B, you're going to be around longer to, because they need you. Um, it's a good diet for everybody. Uh, C, they're going to respect you more because it means you've got a heart for animals or you care about the environment or whatever other, whatever their motivation is. That's a great thing to do. Um, so back to your protein question. Um, for an adult, and this includes a grown teenager, like 16, 17 years old, the, the, the U.S. government will say that a woman needs about 46 grams of protein a day and a man about 56. Take that um, as a really rough guideline. Uh, because um, you probably don't need quite that much. It's got a little bit of a buffer in there. And if you're an, a, a really overworking athlete, you might need more. However, with if your diet just has in it beans, grains, vegetables, and those are the main parts of your diet, along with whatever fruit you like, you're going to get enough protein without worrying about it. So your daughter's going to be doing great if she has beans and vegetables and, fr- and fruits and whole grains every day, she's going to be fine. If you're really nervous and you want to pump it up, soy products like tofu or soy milk have a lot of extra protein. That's great. And soy is great for kids and it's good in every way. It does not have adverse health effects, despite the urban myths we hear about. Do not forget the B12. Everybody needs B12. And that's true for a kid who goes vegan, just like the kid's parents. Uh, let's take a question here from Jeremy. Oh boy, I know he is not alone in this book. Uh, he wants to know, are there any natural remedies for insomnia? Maybe he's having trouble getting some sleep at night. Oh my. Um, you know, in my book, um, Power Foods for the Brain, I had a whole chapter on that because for some people that's their big issue is they can't sleep. Um, let me go back to kind of the beginning because before you take valerian or something, I mean, you could do that if you want to, but before you do, um, let's do some basic sleep hygiene. Um, let's start with caffeine. Uh, most Americans have caffeine in their blood and they're kind of habituated to it and they know it because in the morning they don't feel like themselves until they get their morning cup of joe. But uh, different people preserve the caffeine in their blood for a, a longer period of time than others. So for some people, as much as a quarter of that cup of, of caffeine, uh, the equivalent of a quarter cup of coffee, is still in your bloodstream at 9, 10 o'clock at night. And that can mean that your sleep is lighter, um, more easily disturbed. Uh, you're going to wake up more frequently. And then when you break up with caffeine, you find that you do better. Now, there's caffeine in coffee. There's some in tea. Uh, there's some in a, a, a soda. Um, check the label. Some, are, some have it. Some don't. Um, it's all... Uh, a clinically significant amount. Uh, it's, it's enough to affect sleep. Number two, alcohol. Um, you have that glass of red wine, it makes you relaxed and you doze off to sleep. But then at four in the morning, you wake up. What The reason is that your liver took the alcohol molecule and rearranged it into an aldehyde, which is a stimulant. And it creates a certain kind of awakeness, which is kind of a grumpy, worried frame of mind that people experience in the middle of the night. So, all right, let's say I break up with caffeine and I don't drink at all. You will notice that for most people, their sleep problems go away. Um, For extra credit, 
exercise is good. And some people have heard, don't exercise right before sleep. I don't agree with that. I think if your muscles are strained, you'll know, you'll know yourself. If your muscles have strained a little bit, you did some push-ups or sit-ups, or you just ran around the block. Tired muscles make you want to sleep. They demand sleep. So as part of their repair uh, routine. So if you, if you sat around all day at your desk or on your couch, your muscles have no reason to, to demand sleep and your sleep will not be as good as if you got exercise. Um, and if you put all this together and you get a good night's sleep, then the next day you're going to discover that you have more resolve to continue with your clean living regimen. So it's, it becomes a kind of self-perpetuating healthy cycle to be on. All right, let's grab a few more questions on the program today. Remember, you can drop them in the comments or the chats or send them to us on Twitter with the hashtag exam room live. Follow up question to the protein question that we just had, Dr. Barnard. This one comes to us from Gerwit at 1228. Is it possible to overeat when it comes to plant-based proteins? Um, great question. I don't think anybody has the answer to that. Um, my, my best guess is no. My best guess is that it's not going to be an issue for you, even with things like isolated proteins where people say, wait a minute, they're so processed. Um, we really don't have evidence of, of them causing any harm. Um, that said, there's something to be said for having foods in the, more, the most natural form that they're in because those, the beans and the vegetables and the whole grains and the fruits, those are the forms that our bodies have been getting to know over the millennia that we've evolved along with that... Um, have nutrients that come along with them as opposed to just isolated protein that's there as a, like a filler in a, a veggie burger or something like that. Uh, keto diet, that is a very, very big thing. And it has been for the last, uh, I would say, at least two, three years minimum. This question comes to us, Dr. Barnard, from Edith. Is it harmful to be in ketosis for a long time? And if so, how harmful? Yeah, well, ketosis is not your body's favorite thing. Um, your, your body is designed to run on glucose, just like your car runs on gasoline or whatever your car runs on these days. Um, your body has a fuel and that fuel is glucose. And so your body takes, your body is designed, if I can use that word, or um, so it works is your body extracts glucose from foods that you eat. And that means fruits and it means grains and starchy vegetables. Your body has the machinery to remove that glucose and stick it in your muscles and it feeds it up to your brain. And it puts it in your liver. And if you um, have a little extra, it will say, thank you. I'm going to store it in my muscles and store it in my liver just in case you decide to run a marathon tomorrow. So glucose is a great thing. Um, and the ketosis diet, the whole idea is we're going to put you into a, effectively starvation. We're going to deprive you of glucose. And your body hates that. And so your body then has to burn something. So it's going to burn fat that you ate or fat that you have left. And that's how these ketotic diets work. Um, but no, you, you don't want to continue that. Now, there are people who follow, who do this for a long period of time. Um, the main harm doesn't seem to be from the low level of ketosis that people are in. The main harm seems to be from all the junk that's in the diet that you are now eating. Um, the meat is going to raise your risk of colorectal cancer. The saturated fat is going to raise your risk of Alzheimer's disease and and uh, cholesterol and such fat raised uh, for many people raise cholesterol levels. All right. We've mentioned uh, alcohol a couple of times on the show today. This is a pretty unique question. I know for a fact that we've never been asked this before. So I'm coming to you with this one from Vahid at 1229. Wants to know whether drinking alcohol, if you're vegan, presents the same risks 
if you're not vegan. So, yeah. Um, I think it's better just the, the best advice is to say, yes, it's the same risk. And what, what are the risks? Um, alcohol is a double-edged sword. It might reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. It might reduce the heart, risk of heart disease. But on balance, it increases the risk of several forms of cancer, um, colorectal cancer, breast cancer, and a number of others, in addition to increasing the risk of accidents and ruining your life and <laughs> all kinds of other things. Um, now, if you're vegan, there's one benefit that, that's going to be just an asterisk to this discussion, and that's that plant foods have folate in them, folate's a B vitamin. And researchers have come up with some evidence that high folate diets might reduce the risk of breast cancer among people drinking alcohol. So you're having alcohol, your risk of breast cancer goes up. If folate is a big part of your diet, maybe that will mitigate the risk. Let's say maybe that's true. It's still not a reason to play with fire. So if you drink, I would keep it modest and intermittent as opposed to your kind of daily go-to relaxer. And before we get to the final question of the day, I want to say hi to Annette and JL and Roller Girl and Mark and Karen and everybody who's hanging out with us right now uh, in the chat room. Thank you guys so very much for watching today. Appreciate you being here. And the final question is one that we've actually now, Dr. Barnard, gotten from a number of viewers, a follow-up to the cholesterol question. A few people have written in and say, well, look, you know, high cholesterol just seems to run in my family. And what can I do? I feel like I'm at a point where I've eaten this, this healthy diet, but it's still not coming down. How will I know if I just have that high cholesterol gene? And is there anything else I can be doing on top of that? Great question. Um, the way to know is that you take um, maybe an eight week period, something like that, eight or 10 weeks. And during this period of time, you follow as perfect a diet as possible. And what that is, is no animal products at all. I mean, zero, not the little bit of cheese that the waiter accidentally put on your spaghetti, like no animal products at all. Keep oils really, really low, even olive oil. And why is that? Because although it has less saturated fat than chicken fat by far, the olive oil still has some saturated fat. Here are the numbers. For chicken fat, it's about 30% saturated. Olive oil is about 14% saturated fat. So for the next eight weeks, we're going to zero. Um, make sure you have really a healthy diet, lots of uh, beans, um, whole grains, oats, the things that have the soluble fiber that brings your cholesterol down. Um, you do all of that. After eight weeks, 10 weeks, you get a blood test. If your cholesterol is still high, then you are very likely, um, uh, you have a high cholesterol on a genetic basis. Can that really be true? Yeah, it can be. Maybe one in 10 people, that's what you've got. And you, your body, especially your liver, is just busily manufacturing more cholesterol than you really need. And at that point, you then have a discussion with your doctor about should you take a statin. And you need to talk with your doctor about the benefits and about the risks of going down that, that road. All right, let's go ahead and close up the doctor's mailbag for today. If we didn't get to your question, I promise you we will save it and do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. So keep on typing them in the chat box, leave it in the comments, or send it to us on Twitter and Instagram with the hashtag exam room live. And Dr. Barner can't wrap up the show today without also saying thank you to Allison Mahoney and the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for their continued support of the exam room podcast and the exam room live. Could not be doing this show without you. And I will tell you, um, the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund is absolutely just 
unbelievable what they do for organizations such as the Physicians Committee. And it's really, it was founded by Allison to carry on the love that Greg had for animals and promoting, of course, healthy eating uh, to take care of our own bodies, but also to promote welfare for the animals. There's just so much good that goes into this. And Dr. Barnard, I know that you, you know Allison so very well and, and you knew Greg and just what a wonderful, wonderful fun this actually is. Greg was a wonderful person with a great heart, just wonderful guy. And if I'm remembering right, his birthday is June 6th, if I'm thinking right. So we're thinking of you, Greg. And thank you, Allison. Um, thank you for your support. Absolutely. And you can go over and learn more about the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund at uh, GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R Fund.org. Go ahead, go there, sign up for their newsletter and, and learn more about the fund. They're absolutely fantastic. So thank you again for your support. If you ever have a question that you would like to ask Dr. Barnard or any one of our experts, you can go ahead and send that question to me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll WLC. Make sure that when you send that question in, you use the hashtag exam room live. Better yet, you can join us every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific over on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Watch the show live. Ask your question right then and right there. Love it when you guys tune in for the live show. All of the exam roomies. You guys are the best. Just the best. Before we go any further, I want to pause for a moment to say thank you once again to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. As you heard Dr. Barnard say, June 6th is in fact Greg's birthday. In fact, he would have been 58 this year. And look, I said it during the live show, and I will say it again here. The work that they do is really just phenomenal. It is a fund that is born out of the love and the passion that Greg Ryder had for animals. And today, that very fund is being used to support organizations that share that same passion, that same love that Greg had through animal rescue efforts and by promoting a vegan lifestyle and wildlife conservation efforts. Please visit GregoryWriterFund.org. That's Gregory Writer, R-E-I-T-E-R Fund.org to learn more about Greg's story and about animal issues. And you can even subscribe to their newsletter while you are there. And you can find a link to that website in the show notes for this episode. And one more thing that we need your help with today. We are asking you to join with us to help save a life. We talked about how preventable heart disease is on the show today. So let's go ahead and get this information to those who need it the most, those who are at the highest risk for heart disease. We want them to hear this information and to get that hope and inspiration and science and the easiest way for them to find this information, the easiest way that you can help is simply by subscribing to the exam room podcast by the physicians committee on Apple podcast or on Spotify, wherever shows are available. And after you hit that subscribe button, which is completely free, by the way, after you hit that subscribe button, if you could please also leave a five-star rating 
we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And for today, that's going to do it. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Barnard for spending his time with us and answering your questions as we opened the doctor's mailbag. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>